I'm Damian Bola. Today on Fifth and Mission, are we finally making our way out of the winter surge? Our first guest who I'm going to ask that question is Aaron Alday, our lead health reporter. We're going to talk about the latest in the effort to turn the corner on the coronavirus, from stepping up vaccinations, expanding them, to possibly reopening further, even things like indoor dining, not soon, but Aaron, perhaps in the not-too-distant future. Later, I'm going to talk to business reporter Carolyn Saeed about the immense toll of people losing their jobs across the state and the county. It's really added up. A new study estimates that tens of thousands of people have likely died with linkages to being out of work. Aaron, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me again, Damien. All right, Aaron, it seems like there is some some good news if you look at the the numbers, if you look at the charts. Uh, first, just a basic question. Are we still in the winter surge? No, I'm actually looking at uh, a chart right now, and we are most definitely past the winter surge. Um, we're, but the, the peak now is is a few weeks behind us. In fact, um, we're finally, finally just in the last couple of days under the the summertime surge peak. Um, so, you know, that's, that's sort of a notable, uh, moment because for a long time we were, we were had our daily cases were even above the worst of the summer surge. And now we're finally under those levels. Um, and the numbers keep kind of trending downward. So yeah, things are looking great. I think we can definitely safely say that the winter surge is behind us, which is just wonderful. God, I, I'm so used to bad news that I was about to ask you, when's the next surge? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, though. We, Okay, wait wait a minute. Uh, Why why have the we gotten out of the winter surge though? What what are the factors? Well, I think there are a few factors. Um, A lot of it is just the the winter surge was caused in large part by our holidays. Um, You know, Thanksgiving was a huge factor um, in in building up our cases. Um, People just traveling and gathering together and just sort of behaving badly. Um, and, and Christmas and New Year's were some of the same. Um, you know, it was also just sort of the wintertime combined with um, the economy reopening just, you know, meant that we kind of saw cases naturally creeping up even before Thanksgiving. So there were a lot of factors that contributed to the cases climbing to that horrible surge that are not issues anymore. So the holidays are behind us. Um, and you know, and and just sort of people are kind of getting more accustomed to how they should behave. Um, I think there's an element of uncertainty. This we've seen so far now we've been through three surges and they seem to be cyclic for reasons that we don't necessarily fully understand at this point. There may be something about the virus itself and the way it moves through populations. It just kind of causes these natural sort of waves. Um, so that may be a factor. And then, of course, the last is the vaccines. We may, um, you know, fingers crossed, be seeing some really early signs that we're starting to get people vaccinated and that's starting to have an impact on um, on our cases, that we're starting to see uh, things, things, things dropping just a little bit, um, which, is a, which is a great sign if that's the case. I'm not sure you mentioned uh, good behavior. Is good behavior good behavior is is definitely? Factors? I mean, it's one of the factors. I don't know that people are better behaved now than they were a month ago, but certainly just not having the holidays, not having excuses to get together, um, is is a huge factor. All right, and it's been so long before Valentine's Day that no one had met anyone new anyway to to spread it on. I know. I had Day. thought about that. Is Valentine's Day going to be an, an an issue? And I had the same thought, which is nobody has anybody new to hang out with. So nope. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about uh, the vaccines. You mentioned that that we could start to see uh, some of the impact of that. Um, we're seeing that it's spread among different populations. Um, 
Tell us the latest. It's It's been kind of, again, mixed news on the vaccine front all week. Yeah, it definitely continues to be a mixed news thing. And, and as much as, you know, I think we are seeing some very, very early signs that, you know, people are getting vaccinated and that's reflected in some of our our hospitalization data, especially um, for the most part, we're not anywhere close to getting enough people vaccinated for like herd immunity or to see a dramatic drop in cases. Um, we're still kind of, you know, really kind of haphazard sort of rollout. Um, and and yeah, this week kind of defined that more than any other so far in that, you know, we had, I think on, you know, one day we had San Francisco saying, and we've run out of vaccines, so we're going to have to temporarily shut down two of our largest clinics at Moscone Center. Um, and City College of San Francisco. And then literally the very next day, we have Oakland announcing that it's opening up its biggest vaccination clinic at Oakland Coliseum. So it's kind of like, well, what's going on here? Is there, you know, one day we're we're running out one in one place and the other day we have plenty to go around in another place. And I think it's just, it's confusing and people continue to be frustrated. And, you know, I hear from people every day who are trying to make appointments and they can't get anything. Um, they can't, you know, find anywhere to get vaccinated. Um, but, you know, meanwhile, there are places that are open and that are serving people. So I think one thing that we need to keep in mind with all this is, you know, it is happening. Um, we are getting vaccines into people's arms. We are, you know, it's it's rolling out. It's just been super chaotic. Uh, and then, of course, the latest is now these winter storms um, that have hit so much of the country. They've caused further delays. So, you know, just this week, we had several counties um, saying that they didn't get their expected doses this week because the the shipments were were delayed because of the winter weather. Um, so you know, it's like we're having just so much trouble getting like reliable uh, supply out to the counties, and the last thing we need is is now just dumb weather getting in the way. But it, it sounds like Ted Cruz might have uh, been able to bring some vaccine back from Mexico. Yeah, I think that was day. why he was there. <laughs> okay. One thing that seems to excite a lot of people uh, for, for good reason is seeing teachers, um, you know, be in the line to be vaccinated. What's the latest on that? Yeah, we're finally seeing some some progress there. Um, what's happened is that counties have made their way through this population of older adults who were prioritized. So that 65 and plus group. Um, and as they're making progress through through that group, they're starting to open it up or at least talking about opening it up to teachers, um, child care workers, other essential workers, you know, people working in, in food and agriculture. Um, and that's just that's that's awesome. I mean, it's awesome because it means, you know, we're making progress. It's just for me, it's really nice to see that we're moving through these groups and being able to move people up the priority line. And then, of course, people are really especially excited about teachers because we're so eager to get our schools reopened. Um, and vaccinating teachers will give everybody, I think, a lot of reassurance there. So I think, you know, a lot, what we're seeing is counties are announcing, you know, dates. They're giving us dates for when teachers and other groups can start to get vaccinated. And that's ranging from anywhere from right now to a couple of weeks from now. Um, and yeah, I think once once those open up, then, you know, assuming the supply, you know, gets some stability, we should then move through those groups pretty quickly. Another thing that's very symbolic to people, it seems, is is indoor dining. Uh, where do we stand with that? Is that something we might head back to soon? I think so. I, I mean, it depends a lot on where you live. So basically, as as we talked about, you know, we are easy. We're, we're done with this winter surge. Our numbers are getting to be in really good shape. Um, and I think within the next couple of weeks, what we'll see is a lot of Bay Area counties will dip down into that next kind of lowest tier on the on the state's tiered framework for reopening. So purple is the most restrictive where, 
you know, you can have outdoor dining, but kind of nothing else. Um, and if they move into the red tier, then they can have a limited amount of indoor dining. And there's several counties that I expect will hit that red tier number in a week or two. Um, the question is not all counties when they hit that red tier immediately open up indoor dining. San Francisco, for example, is, has been notoriously conservative and tends not to necessarily just open up right away. But I think San Mateo County is pretty close. They tend to open up according to the state guidelines. So, we you know, we might see indoor dining down in uh, the peninsula in a week or two or in Marin County. Um, some of these places, you know, might do that pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, that is I mean, it is sort of symbolic. Um, personally, I don't remember the last time I ate indoors. I, I've never have through this pandemic. I've eaten outdoors a few times, but not indoors. Um, but I like knowing that it's an option. <laughs> I think that it's, it feels, you know, reassuring. It feels like that little kind of taste of normalcy to just kind of know that that's happening, know that like, things are we're in, we're in good enough shape that that's something that's, that's safe for for a lot of us. Yeah, and, and it'll be good for the restaurants, obviously, oh, sure. and the workers if we can if we can get back uh, f- fully, obviously. Aaron, I do want to return to that that question I mentioned at the beginning. You know, I said, when's the next surge? But but is there a risk of another surge? And if there is one, what would cause it? There is a risk of another surge. We, um, you know, a lot of these health officers worry that these new variants in particular could trigger another surge. Um, that, you know, if if we're not able to vaccinate people quickly enough and these these variants get a foothold because um, they tend to spread faster, um, they, they tend to kind of infect more people that we could see another surge in cases before we're able to get enough people vaccinated to prevent the next surge. Um, I think the next... What, what what people talk about is the next four to six weeks. So basically by the end of March, that's that's really a critical time because, you know, if there's going to be another surge, that's when it's going to happen. We tend to have about, say, six to, you know, 10 or 12 weeks between between cycles here. Um, so, you know, end of March, we'll be kind of at that point again. And if we, you know, don't see cases really creeping up, I think that's a pretty good sign that our vaccination efforts are working really well and we're getting a hold of this thing. On the other hand, if we do see them creeping up, that might be a sign that the variants are sort of winning this game. So that's that's definitely something we will all be keeping a very close eye on over the next uh, the next four to six weeks. All right. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. Thanks, Damien. Let's take a quick break on Fifth Admission. When we come back, we'll have Carolyn Saeed, Chronicle reporter on the cost of unemployment. You can support Fifth Admission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to Fifth Admission. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined now by Chronicle reporter Carolyn Saeed. Carolyn has been covering the unemployment crisis that's come out of the pandemic for the Chronicle. Carolyn, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, Carolyn, obviously, you've had a lot of difficult stories to tell and also a lot of the the sort of uh, miscues and incompetence at times by by the government in, in, in distributing benefits. But a, a really fascinating and sad story about how many people may have even died from being out of work in the pandemic. Yes, it is really sad. There's a study, a new study out of UCSF that looks at unemployed people and um, the the ways that being unemployed can affect their health. And it says that over the past year, about 30,000 Americans may have died doing, due to having become unemployed at the beginning of the pandemic. 
you know, the numbers could be even higher because they didn't look at people who became unemployed later in the pandemic. But that's on top of the already staggering toll of almost 500,000 people dead from COVID-19 itself. This is still more terrible fallout from the pandemic. Yeah, it's 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 somewhat easy to forget how much of a health issue losing your job is. Um, so how 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 would people die? I mean, we we obviously are, have been concerned about suicide. Um, we're obviously very concerned in the Bay Area about drug overdoses, but but this is a whole range of potential risks, right? Right. Um, you know, losing your job leads to all kinds of adverse health impacts. You could have you know worse nutrition. You don't have access to healthy good food. You could lose the roof over your head. I know we do have theoretically an eviction moratorium, but a lot of people either move out voluntarily or we're hearing reports that some people got evicted anyway. Um, you obviously have less access to health care. You're under tremendous stress, so it can exacerbate or cause mental illness, depression, and all kinds of other mental illnesses. As you mentioned, both suicide and drug alcohol issues are, are also common. And all those things can exacerbate existing health conditions like cancer or heart condition and and cause a premature death. And if you extend not going to the doctor for something that you you feel, you you don't feel well, extend that across the country, you're potentially talking about thousands of deaths. That's right. This study um, pegged the number at 30,000 deaths, but that was just among the people who got laid off in March and April. Since then, millions more people have gotten laid off. So the number undoubtedly is much higher at this point. Okay. And how do they how do they figure out for a study like this, which deaths are related to unemployment? Well, what they did was actually use sort of existing epidemiology data. There have been studies in the past that took groups of people who had been laid off and groups of similar people who were not laid off and followed them over time. Those studies, um, which, which there's there's a range of them, you came up with um, the likelihood that somebody who's unemployed would would die earlier. Um, and then this current study took several of those studies together to come up with sort of a formula and applied that to the people who were laid off in March and April. There, there's not. It's not possible to actually go with death certificates and, and figure out if that's accurate because death certificates do not say if somebody was unemployed when they died. Okay. And, and, as you've been reporting, there also seem to be exacerbating factors in terms of the way unemployment's been handled, the benefits. Obviously, there have been extra benefits from the government, but there's also been a lot of issues. That's so, so sadly true. I mean, here in California, the Employment Development Department has been completely overwhelmed with the deluge of claims and unable to keep up. On the one hand, it's paid out billions of dollars to fraudsters and scam artists. On the other hand, there are many desperate, legitimate claimants. I talk to them all the time who cannot get their benefits or who have had their benefits frozen. And I think that also, um, you know, that exacerbates the stress and mental illness of being unemployed. That's what um, um, a legal aid person who works with with folks who are trying to get their benefits has said, you know, they're, they're in this horrible situation where they're trying to do everything. They're trying to jump through all the hoops and dot all the I's and cross all the T's and they cannot get benefits. And for many people, this is the only money they have to sustain themselves. And if they, they are just desperate, you know, so that that also can lead to very adverse 
health outcomes and, and even to suicide. I have myself heard from some people who said they were contemplating taking their lives. And what is the latest on, on the effort by the state? You mentioned fraud. Um, what is the effort by the state to get on top of that and make sure that the legitimate people that are applying are still getting their benefits? Well, the director of the EDD resigned at the end of December after less than a year um, in that role. And the new head of California EDD, Rita Symes, says all the right things. She's been having press conferences and testifying in front of state lawmakers. And she says she wants to you know, prevent fraud, stop it at the front door while making sure that legitimate claimants can get their money. EDD is hiring more people to handle the phones. They get millions of calls a day and um, claimants will tell you that that's one of the horribly frustrating things of their situation, just spending hours and hours on the phone, either getting busy signals or getting hung up on, or even when they get somebody not being able to get an answer. Um, the state has hired some outside contractors to try to help it with its fraud issues. The technology that California uses is from decades ago. It's so ironic when here we are in the high-tech capital of the world that the EDD had evidently has very antiquated technology. It had a multi, multi, multi-million dollar contract to upgrade it several years ago, and it just has not come to pass. So they are struggling to try to fix this. But um, meanwhile, a lot of people are getting ca- caught up in it. And in fact, the struggles to fix the fraud are also hurting legitimate people. For instance, in late December, EDD froze 1.4 million accounts because they were suspected of being fraudulent. And we've heard from literally hundreds of thousands of desperate people whose accounts were frozen, who are clearly not scam artists, who need that money unfrozen and have been trying to work through the system to verify that they are who they say they are and and get their money. So it's a very delicate and difficult balancing act. And um, I mean, obviously, the actual people who work at EDD want to do the right thing but they're mired in a giant bureaucracy of red tape and old technology and and systems that don't always seem set up to um, help people as quickly as they could. Carolyn, I just want to ask you about what it's been like talking to so many people that are in desperate straits during the pandemic and, and are unemployed and don't know what they're going to do next. It's just so sad. I mean, my heart goes out to them. These are people who, you know, did everything, you know, had jobs, worked hard, believed in the American dream and and they paid into unemployment too over the years or well their employers paid but you know they they essentially you know they paid taxes all these years and now they feel the government is letting them down you know in their time of of need and and um you know this is obviously this whole year has been a very sad and difficult time but this is just one more thing that that made it a lot worse and i will say the federal government did step up um initially there was that $600 a week bump on unemployment benefits and then that lasted until the end of july then for a few weeks there was a $300 bump and now there's another bump so that has helped people that actually made unemployment a much more sustainable solution for people. And um, initially, Congress did pass that $600 bump very quickly. But then all through the fall, we saw months and months of wrangling and Congress unable to come up with a solution while people were desperate. Yeah. And a ways to go. Yeah. And a ways to go. Yeah. All right. Well, Carolyn, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle reporters Aaron Alday and Carolyn Said, to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.